I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president. Welcome to the Arena Talks podcast, where we interview emerging political leaders from across the country. My name is Ravi Gupta, co-founder of the Arena. And today, in one of my very favorite episodes, we interviewed Desmond Mead, who's the founder and president of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. He's somebody who's been directly impacted by voting rights restrictions. He spent years in the past addicted to drugs and spent time in prison. And he's one of the over a million U.S. citizens living in Florida who's had his rights taken away and is unable to vote and unable to practice law. Uh, We talk about his story, how he turned his life around, why he decided to stay in Florida and fight for the rights of others. Uh, And he talks about some incredibly promising developments down there on the ground. So let's jump in. Desmond Mead, welcome to the Arena Talks podcast. Hey, Robbie, thank you for having me on. Well, Desmond, you spoke at our Arena Summit in Arizona not too long ago, and you shared a little bit about your story, and you talked about how you're a graduate of the Florida International University School of Law, but upon graduation, you're unable to practice law. You have quite a story. Tell us a little bit about why that was the case, why you weren't able to practice law after graduating. You know, I was an individual that, you know, I've been in and out of trouble because of a drug addiction. And that drug addiction really led me to one day be standing in front of railroad tracks waiting on a train to come so I can jump in front of it. Um, The train didn't come that day and I ended up crossing those tracks and, and I got help. You know, I checked myself into treatment. I... Uh, after completing that, I moved into a homeless shelter and, and while there, I decided to go back to school. Um, and I did real well in, in undergrad and eventually I was accepted in the law school and I ended up graduating in May of 2014 with my JD. However, because I, I had a previous felony conviction and I live in the state of Florida, I'm among the over 1.68 million people who have been permanently disfranchised. And so because I've lost my civil rights as a result of a felony conviction, I am unable to apply to the Florida bar uh, until my rights have been restored. And so, and before we talk about the mission that you're on now, let's take a step back because I think you're so humble. You, you, You tell that story so fast. You turned your life around in ways that, um, that I think would be instructive to a lot of folks who are going through different challenges. What was it exactly, you know, you had, you had many steps to your challenges, you know, your experience in the army, becoming homeless, your drug addiction. What was it that finally turned you around? Robbie, I mean, I really do appreciate you, you asking me this question because I do think that it's that story of the challenges that I've been able to overcome and how I've been able to overcome it. it. I think it's quite important, especially to your listeners, because I know that there are folks out there that are going through things in their lives, you know, that that have and will face obstacles uh, in, in the future. And, and I, I like to use my story as, as an example of how we can, we do have the ability to overcome these, these challenges uh, with me. I, I think it was in two parts. You know, part one was uh, that what really helped change things around for me was when I did cross those railroad tracks and I asked myself if I were to have died that day, how many people would come to my funeral? And the answer was zero. 
And when I changed the uh, uh, facts around a little bit, I had my picture on the front page of the Herald, you know, Desmond killed by train. You know, I still struggled to come up with people and I end up only coming up with four people that would come to my funeral. And out of those four, maybe two would have cried. And that bothered me, you know, and, and you know, I, I questioned my existence on this planet. You know, like, what have I done all these years? And with all the relationships that I've had and the places that I've lived, you know, you mean to tell me only four people would care if I died? You know, and, and, and that really made me feel very insignificant. And as it so happened, uh, probably a month or so after I, I went into treatment, Rosa Parks passed away. And they had her body lay in, in state in the rotunda of the uh, Capitol in D.C. And I remember watching people pay their last respects. And so many folks had tears in their eyes. And, and that uh, you know, caused me to all of a sudden start planning my own funeral. You know, that I wanted to have a lot of people at my funeral. I wanted people to mourn me. I wanted to feel like I was significant or there was some substance to my life. In that process, I end up um, uh, setting out to make a difference, to take all of the pain and the suffering that led me to those railroad tracks, to use it in a way to help other people. And when I started to, when I had that first interaction where someone uh, uh, told me that uh, our interaction caused them to have a different way of, uh, uh, of looking at things or, or a different outlook on life, Something happened inside of me or erupted inside of me. Uh, and I can tell you today, Robbie, that it was a joy that I never knew existed. It was a joy that I was chasing all of my life and didn't even know I was chasing it. And that joy was it was wrapped up in purpose. You know, that I, I found that my purpose in life was that no matter what station I was in, no matter what how much money I had or wherever or whatever title I may have, that there were always going to be someone else that's worse off than me. And I always would have something to give, you know. And, and, and so that is what, you know, when I realized that by doing something that is so natural, because when we look at nature, nature takes a little and gives something back. You know, and so to be aligned with 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 nature, you know, it was such a, 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 an amazing feeling that I just dove headfirst into advocacy and, and just doing whatever I could to make someone else's day a little bit better, to make my community a better place to live, to make this country a better place to be in. You know, and so that. It was those experiences that I think started me on this uh, very uh, adventurous journey. Yeah, it's almost, you know, it's what we call in my family. It's the uh, it's a wonderful life test. You know, if you weren't around, uh, who would be affected? And I think you've passed that test in flying colors already. And your name is in the news uh, for good reasons. Um, and we're going to get to why that's the case. And, you know, in picking back up where we left off, you graduate law school you can't practice law in Florida. Did you think about at that time moving to another state where you might've been able to practice? And, and if so, what made you decide to stay in your home state? I sure did. I knew that in 40, say, I think 46 other states that I could practice law, but I, I, I'll never forget the time I was flying to South Carolina of all places. And I remember looking down, looking out the window uh, of the airplane and looking down at the, at the earth and how 
beautiful it was. And the one thing that stuck in my mind was I could not tell when I was leaving the state of Florida and entering into Georgia or into any other state because there were no visible borders that separate the states, right? And, 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 and I thought that, man, I was like, somewhere down there, there's an imaginary line that separate these states. And it immediately took me back to the days of slavery when all a slave had to do was cross an imaginary line to get freedom, right? And, and, and so my, you know, my thought process was that in this day and age, no American citizen should have to escape from another state just to experience freedom and democracy, right? And, and it was then in that plane that I made a pledge that I would not run away. I would stay in the state of Florida and I would see this thing all the way through. Now, I may have had opportunities to, to get my rights restored, but it would, it would have been through special favors, right? And I, was, I rejected that because I knew that those favors that was offered was an attempt to silence me, right? And, and I was like, no, I would get it back like everybody else does. And I'm not going to escape because, like I said, no American citizen, no Floridian should have to go to Georgia, should have to go to Texas, should have to go to South Carolina to be able to participate in this democratic process. They should be able to do it right here in the state of Florida. And so on that, you decided not to take on just the narrow issue of people uh, getting your license to practice law, but you also took on the broader issue of felony disenfranchisement in Florida. How many folks are affected by this issue in Florida and how has that affected the state of democracy in that state? So, I mean, I think, first of all, you know, in Florida, uh, based on the last comprehensive study that was uh, completed and um, released uh, in 2017, uh, approximately uh, over actually over one point six, eight million people in Florida uh, are permanently disenfranchised. Uh, these folks have lost their civil rights and have not regained them. And, and when you talk, it's very important to put that 1.68 million in perspective. That's more people than the population of over 10 states and U.S. territories and, and, and of at least 50 countries in the world. As a matter of fact, I was telling somebody the other day that there are more people in Florida who can't vote than the total amount of people in several states who did vote in the last election. And so there, you know, it's, um, it, 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 it's a situation that has been getting worse every day. This has been an issue uh, that has been kicked down the road uh, for quite a number of years. Uh, at the very minimum, folks knew about this during the Bush-Gore election uh, when so many people were removed from the roster uh, because of a, a alleged felony conviction. And so it's been around for quite some time. And with Florida convicting uh, 170,000 people each year, uh, this problem is going to do nothing but grow. And, and more and more people are going to be impacted. So you decided to take this issue on, but you knew you couldn't go to the state legislature uh, and the governor who seemed uninterested in fixing the issue. So you decided to do a, a ballot initiative. Walk us through all the different steps that you've had to go through to get this issue in front of voters. <laughs> if I were to walk you through the steps that it took to actually get to the point where we're at, we would probably need another show. 
<laughs> um, give us the highlights. Yeah, let me see if I can give you the condensed version because it was just so much involved in this. But basically, on, on, on a very basic level, in the state of Florida, we're one of few states that allow what we call citizens' initiatives, right? Um, and the requirement is, first of all, you would have to actually get an approved language uh, to circulate. So you have to draft the language, circulate it, uh, get it approved by the Secretary of State uh, Division of Elections, uh, and then you're able to circulate it. But then you're required to collect, at the time, we had to collect uh, 68,314 valid signatures from voters throughout the state of Florida. And we had to collect a minimum amount of signatures in at least seven congressional districts. Now, once we're able to do that, that would trigger the legal review process in which the Florida Supreme Court would have an opportunity then to weigh in on the constitutionality of the ballot summary title and language. Um, once they rule on that, uh, if they approve the ballot summary title and language, then the initiative can move forward. And then they would then have to collect, in, like in our case, 766,000 uh, valid signatures from voters uh, in at least 14 congressional districts uh, um, throughout the state of Florida. Wow. So say that again. You, you said 766,000 signatures. Yes, sir. And that's that's bigger than some cities and states in this country. I know, right? <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but when, let's be real, right? The legislature years ago, um, which I think is a front to democracy anyhow, um, they made it more difficult for citizens' initiatives to actually uh, uh, successfully uh, amend the state constitution uh, with the signature requirements as well as the requirement that 60 uh, 60% uh, of the voters who vote on the amendment must vote yes in order for it to pass. You know, I know some states, uh, there's only a threshold of 50% or 50 plus one, uh, but Florida made uh, this process extremely difficult. And uh, we had a very short time window in which to collect those signatures. What was the window? When they amended the rules to uh, Citizens Initiative, one of the things that they did was that they gave each petition a two-year shelf life. And so at, from the time a person signed the petition, uh, it's only good for two years. So that gives, um, you know, grassroots uh, a window of two years to collect <clears throat> all of the necessary signatures uh, to make it. I can tell you this. Um, we made history in Florida because... Uh, in triggering the Supreme Court review, where we had to collect six, eight thousand plus valid signatures, we collected eighty thousand, over eighty thousand signatures through a pure grassroots effort with no major funding or backing. A pure grassroots effort, and that has never been done before in the history of Florida. And then in the second phase, where we had to. Uh, collect 766,000 signatures. In July of 2017, uh, last year, uh, we, at the end of July, we came out of that, con we had a convening in Orlando, Florida. And as we were leaving that convening, we set a goal of collecting a million signatures by the end of the year. So that's about six months. 
and we did so. We collected over a million signatures uh, by December 31st of 2017. And we, we had some help with, uh, with uh, paid circulators, uh, but our volunteer army uh, was responsible for a third of those million signatures that was collected in such a brief time. And what did you learn in that effort? Because we had a lot of people who are part of our community who are part of grassroots efforts all around the country on various causes. What could they learn from your experience of you know, fielding such an impressive volunteer army? You know, I think the most important lesson is that when you're talking about some basic issues or, or, or some issues that strike at our humanity, it's what I learned and, and, and I see to be extremely important is that we don't erect barriers ourselves to the issue, right? That we do not, we should not label, give labels to our issue because that's what the system likes because the system knows as long as we're labeling all these things that we can uh, 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 maintain these divisions that we have in our country. And so in, so when we talk about in, in relation to our initiative, we did not label it anything. It was just a pure grassroots effort that was built around forgiveness, redemption and restoration. And because of that, we were able to engage people from all walks of life. So we had people who may have been considered progressive, people who may have been considered uh, a conservative, people who didn't care either way, right? They were young, old, white, black, Latino, rich, poor. People all came together around these basic issues. And, and I think what was key in that was that we did not start off with any labels. Because when we label things, we send a signal to other people that you're not invited to this cause. This cause is against you or whatever. But this was an issue that was a human, a basic human dignity issue. This was an issue that was that had some strong moral foundations. Uh, when you talk about forgiveness and when a debt is paid, it's paid in full. And so to me, that was the most important thing. And that is, has been the, 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 the spirit uh, uh, of this campaign. If I may, uh, uh, Robbie, one of the things that I like to point to is the hurricanes that our country experienced last year um, in Texas, particularly in Texas and Florida. You know, I tell people that the aftermath of the hurricanes provided us a glimpse of what is beautiful about this country. And what we see was that people were coming to the aids of others. They didn't care how that person voted in the last election. They didn't care about the color of their skin. What they seen was another human being in need, and they reacted to that. They responded to that. And it's in those moments that we see beauty. It's in those moments that we see power because that is when we can move issues along much more easily than if we already planting flags from the very beginning and making people choose sides. So for folks who aren't yet on our side on this issue, who aren't convinced that folks who are convicted of felonies should be allowed to vote and participate in our civic society in other ways, what would you say to them? What's What's the, the best argument in favor of the work that you're doing? <laughs> well, the first thing I ask folks is that I would like to know who among us is willing to raise their hand and say, I don't ever want to be forgiven for anything I've done. That's the first thing I would ask, you know, 
And and then, you know, the other thing is, is uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, one thing being that, you know, and I tell people this, when you're talking about giving American citizens the opportunity to have their voice heard, the opportunity to vote, right? Anytime there's consideration about how we think a person may or may not vote, if that's part of the process in deciding whether or not to support it, it's, that's an affront to democracy. Because at the end of the day, it's about people having the opportunity to voice their opinion, regardless of whether or not it was favorable to where we stand. So what's behind your point there is that it's safe to say that a lot of your opponents aren't opposing it on the strict merits, but because it may benefit one party or the other. And um, are they putting that argument out there explicitly or are they trying to hide the, the partisan motivations for this. Ravi, so you might be surprised to learn that we have not experienced any opposition to this yet. Really? Really. I mean, even when we made it to the Supreme Court, we would have thought that there would be all kinds of opposition. There would have been amicus brief submitted to the court in opposition to what we're trying to do. It was nothing. Zero. Nada. And then when we appeared before the Supreme Court, Florida Supreme Court, uh, it wasn't even an oral argument because there was no one arguing against this. So I consider it an oral presentation. Wow. And then um, the Supreme Court, when they issued their ruling, guess what, Robbie? What? It was unanimous. Every single justice on the bench approved this language and said it was constitutional. And now that is is something that you see few and far between because well, how often do you see the entire bench agree on the issue? What do you think is behind all that? Because, you know, I, I don't want to be cynical, but, you know, you'd expect given what's happened with voter disenfranchisement writ large all across the country that there would be some bad actors out there looking to stop you from doing what you're doing. I think, number one, is that this is a righteous fight, all right? It is a righteous fight. This is an all-American issue that impacts all Americans. That's number one. Number two, is, and I go back to what I said earlier, is that this campaign was not started uh, by planting flags, you know. Uh, uh, um, and, and so because of that, this has really been an organic grassroots effort. To me, I think it's the second greatest form of democracy, the first being voting, right? But the second one being when citizens end up changing the laws themselves by a citizen's initiative. And so here you have citizens from all walks of life, from all backgrounds that came together and say, enough is enough that we believe in second chances and, and, and we're going to change this. We're going to take this thing out of the hands of politicians and put it in the constitution where it should be. And it's very hard to go against citizens. It's very hard to attack the will of the people. And that's what we're seeing here. Our polling tells us this. You know, we've seen some pretty positive polling coming out of Florida on this issue. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what it's telling us. The, 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 I think Quinnipiac released a poll a couple of weeks ago and they had us polling at, I think, around 69%. The beautiful thing about that polling was the narrative that that polling produced, which said that uh, people in Florida, across political lines, across racial lines, across gender lines, across age lines, across educational level lines, overwhelmingly support this ballot initiative. And, and, and what, what it says 
you know, it, or what it what it validates is the fact that because of when we take it back a few years or, or quite a few years, because of America's uh, a war on drugs uh, and, and our infatuation with incarcerating our own citizens, um, the criminal justice system has managed to touch so many households. Right? And, and I tell people when I was arrested, the police didn't ask me if I was Democrat or Republican. When I was sentenced in court, the judge didn't ask me that either. And, and, and so we know that this 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 war on drugs has caused so many different people across the wide spectrum to be impacted. And as a result of that, there's so many people across the wide spectrum that understand the impact of felon disenfranchisement in Florida. And they're speaking up and they're standing up on behalf of their loved ones. For listeners who want to get involved in this fight, I want to help you out. What can they do? For your listeners that lives in the state of Florida, that live in the state of Florida, um, they can plug into our campaign to volunteer, to be a part of this amazing grassroots effort um, that will be uh, uh, making history. Uh, they can go to our website, it's um, Democracy. everything is spelled out, uh, .com, uh, Democracy.com. Uh, and when they go on the website, they're able to um, uh, plug in, uh, to volunteer, to agree to host uh, parties, uh, to educate uh, their friends and their neighbors, you know, and their family around the issue and, and to get people to understand why it's important for them to vote yes on Amendment 4. Uh, I, I didn't think I, I mentioned it, but we are Amendment 4 on the ballot in November 12th. So folks could uh, be driving folks to be supporting this amendment. It's a very important amendment and coming out to vote. So final question, you know, assuming this thing passes and uh, you get your law license, you're able to vote. What's next for you? Are you going to practice law? And that's a great, that's a great, que- <laughs> that's a great question. You know, I think that the next thing for me when this passes is to now, uh, and, I, and I think this is a very important issue that our country has been grappling with for quite some time, and that's voter apathy, right? Uh, um, because we know that the the lower the percentages of turnout, um, the more likely our elected officials are to be to cater to the needs of special interests as opposed to what the people want, right? And so we, we know that and, and, and that is one of the underlying principles of this uh, campaign as well, because we believe that a more inclusive democracy is a more vibrant democracy and a more vibrant democracy is good for for everyone. And so uh, not only do we want to uh, give people the opportunity to have their voices heard by restoring the ability to vote to quite a large number, over a million people, but we also want to now pivot and focus on why uh, folks who are registered are not voting. And we want to try to stimulate those conversations by using the people who have lost that ability and and now regained it as an example of why voting is such, uh, number one, not only treasured, but it should be a, a civic duty that we hold much more dear to our heart than we currently do. And so that would be uh, my immediate pivot uh, after we have after we have passed successfully passed uh, this constitutional amendment. 
Well, thank you, Ravi, for having me. Um, listen, I enjoyed myself. I do have another website to, to send folks to, though, because I think it's very important that not only uh, folks be given the opportunity to support the campaign, but I think that folks should also be given the opportunity to support organizations that are led by directly impacted people because it's those that's closest to the pain that are best situated to find the solutions to the problems. And so uh, we have a, a Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, of which I'm the executive director, is such an organization that has been leading the effort in the state of Florida. And I would definitely love uh, to invite your listeners to go to our website, which is floridarc.org, um, and, and find out what we're doing, see if there are ways that they can plug in and support and, and, and connect with our chapters throughout the state or to uh, be a sustainer in our efforts to help us uh, build our organization out so we can be the tip of the spear in November this year. Well, Desmond, thank you for joining us today. Such an inspiration. All right, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity.